This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to the second week in Advent. Good to see you. I hope that uh, you are doing well, that you're not like overly stressed. You know, I'm sure that all of you have thoughtfully, patiently made all your lists out. You've already got all your shopping done and uh, everybody's ready, right? You're just nothing to stress about. You got my warning like 90 days out when I said it's 90 days and you said, oh, you know, this year I'm going to be really thoughtful and I'm going to plan and have everything done even before the month of December gets here, right? right? Okay, it's not good to lie in church. Okay, anyhow, hey, I am glad to see you, and I hope you are doing well. Just a couple of things. If you are our guest for the first time this morning, let me just uh, give you a couple of clues for some things. Uh, there is a card in front of you that says Connect on it, and uh, if you would like to get more connected, find out some things about us, there's a couple of things you could do. One, let me encourage you to grab that card and go ahead and fill it out. Uh, and then if you would like to get on our e-newsletter so that you can find out uh, what's going on around here, get plugged in, uh, you could check the little box underneath the email address that says, uh, you know, I would like the newsletter. We will not send you a newsletter just because you give us your email address. We don't do that. If you would like an e-newsletter, then you need to check that box so that they will put you in the system. They don't assume anything there. But then you want to make sure, of course, that it's actually a functional email and not your spam email because then you'll still be looking for it and you won't know where it is. So uh, let me encourage you to do that. Then if you'd like afterwards, you can take and do with that one of two things. You could use one of the boxes in the back where we do our offering and you could drop that in and make your offering this morning. That'd be awesome uh, for that to be your offering. Or you could go out to the tent and they would love to give you a gift this morning. Just say thank you for having been our guest and get a chance to say hello so if you'd like to do that, we would appreciate you doing that. No pressure either way. All right. Well, with that said, we are in our second message in Advent, uh, as uh, was shared earlier. And, uh, you know, if you are not familiar with Advent, you know, Advent is uh, different or distinguished from Christmas uh, in the simple fact that Christmas is the feast, the mass that celebrates the birth of the Christ. Advent is the season leading up to that. Advent just simply means uh, coming, and so it's to celebrate the first coming of Jesus. And so when he came to us in that, uh, you know, in, in, when he was born to us of the Virgin Mary, uh, there was painted for us an expectation that he would return again, that he was going to come and would fulfill the close of the age, when there would be the final revelation of God's kingdom made manifest, uh, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But in the interim, it has been the tradition of the church since the earliest days of the church, we're talking about since the latter half of the first century, it has been the common practice of the church to celebrate Advent, the four weeks leading up to the celebration of Christ's birth, to the Christ Mass. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, every year we take time and do a special Advent series. So we interrupted our series. We'll go back and finish it in the Gospel of John. But always feel like, you know, it's important that we use these kind of memorials, these you know, markers in the calendar to make us go back and reflect. Uh, you know, that's why we have celebrations. That's why we have festivals. It's not just for an excuse to eat more pumpkin pie. Not that I really need an excuse. It's not just an excuse to have to eat somebody's dry turkey. I mean, uh, to, uh, you know, eat turkey or whatever. Uh, no, it's actually uh, the point of memorials is for you and I to stop everything else we're doing to take a moment of rest and reflect on things that are foundational to us, foundational to our society, foundational to us as uh, believers, things like that. And so uh, that's why we do it. It, it, it is not uh, because one day is holier than any other, but it really has a way of reminding us about the things that we value most and celebrating those and then continuing to affirm that with one another. It's one of the reasons why we do communion every week. 
It's not that uh, there's anything more holy if we do it every week uh, versus once a month or whatever else. But it's, since the earliest days of the church, it's been that important reminder uh, to rem- to, so for us to focus for just a moment in the harem scarum of life and to remember that what Jesus did for us is the foundation of all that we believe and hope for in life in this world. And so it's that moment where you and I gather once a week and we encourage one another, we remind one another so that we're ready to go face the week. Anybody ever need a little encouragement to face the week ahead? Just me. Okay, so anyhow, here in these four weeks, week one we looked at Mary's song and her response to the announcement of the angel. Today we're going to focus on Joseph and his actions uh, after his interaction with the angel. Gabriel, again, very busy, didn't call him out by name, but uh, uh, we, we know from tradition it seems to be Gabriel. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the angels and their interaction with the shepherds who were tending their flocks by night, always a favorite. And then finally, week four, we're going to take a look at the prophets of Simeon and Anna, who were both present uh, uh, the day that Jesus was dedicated in the temple. I think all of these are really important messages for us, though they are short, they are profound. So let me set the scene here today. As we look at the angel's announcement to Joseph, if you are familiar with the events, you know that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. And while that is not language that we really use a whole lot today, uh, think in terms of an engagement that was more socially complex than what we do in terms of engagement. Although they did not cohabitate, they were bound for all other purposes like marriage. And when Mary was found to be with child... Had Joseph not defended Mary, she would have been taken into the town square and tried by the elders of her village, likely would have been found guilty, and then stoned to death for fornication or adultery. This was a a cataclysmic moment where Joseph steps up and acts like a man in one of the most difficult of moments and has really seemingly, uh, and all other reasons, not to have why would he do such a thing? Why would he bring his own uh, merit character into question if it were not for this? Well, we're going to see some things about Joseph that I think is going to bless you. Uh, we don't know a lot about Joseph. that He's mentioned very few times, but we're going to talk about those. So as we, become, uh, as we look today, Joseph, becoming aware of her pregnancy, had no reason to believe in a virgin birth likely never even heard that explanation in the way of uh, having conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Maybe he did talk to her, we don't know. We just know that simply he made some decisions and then the, the, the angel came to visit him and he changed his mind this is what we do know, uh, and so let's take a look at what, that, what was said. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. If you're using a phone or tablet, please set that to silent for the sake of those around you. I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, but whatever translation's in your lap, that one's my favorite because that's the one you're reading. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we read these words. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. Well, 
if you have been around here for any amount of time, um, uh, you know that I say over and over and over again how important context is to good interpretation and understanding. And so normally, uh, you know, I, I would not use such a small text simply out of concern that we would might miss the bigger picture, the bigger context. And it, it's so much easier to lift a verse uh, out of context, the smaller uh, that we uh, focus in. Uh, not that it's wrong to dr drill down on just a verse or two uh, in a particular way, but always it's so important that we keep the context in focus. Otherwise, like I said, lifted from context, we might even drill down and make a verse say something that's just not there. So in this case, I, I, I want to you know, just kind of set that stage there because I know that many of you are regulars and, uh, and, and you're probably thinking, that's a pretty small text for us to examine this morning. Um, uh, but I, I really believe here, if we just uh, if we, if we look at it, that it's sufficient and stands basically on its own uh, in this case. So a lot of text surrounding Joseph, and yet he's a pretty significant, you know, not a lot of text surrounding Joseph. It's only mentioned a couple of times, and yet he's this really significant person in the storyline. I don't know if you've noticed, but like, you know, mom, dad, baby, right? You know, and so like there's, you know, I mean, you don't get the baby without the dad in this whole storyline, right? And so, um, and in particular, uh, if you and I look at the first part of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and we're looking at the lineage uh, that is listed there, it's one of the things that the gospel of Matthew does differently than the other gospels, um, and it takes the tack of going through uh, David's, or, or through the, um, uh, the line of David through to Joseph. And, uh, and so explaining, or if you will, justifying Jesus' claim to the, Davidic, to the Davidic line and therefore the Messianic line. Now, uh, in doing that, I've heard several people ask, well, how does that work since Joseph is not his natural father? Since Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit, uh, how can you justify Jesus' Uh, you know, through the line of Joseph? Well, that's a good question. It's a really important question, uh, and it's foundational to the way that Scripture testifies over and over again. The answer is that when he took responsibility for Jesus, that would have been the valid adoption, in this case, of Jesus. And in the Bible, Adoption is not only on equal footing, but if you consider your own claim to the kingdom of heaven, it's not because you were born righteous. You were adopted as sons of God. That's the phrase that's used in the Bible there. And made an heir. So, like, if you are counting on adoption, you're counting on adoption not only in the sense of that you having become a son of God, let me qualify, if you haven't heard me say this before, ladies, you can be a son of God if I can be the bride of Christ, okay? It's not, a, it's not a gender term, it is a legal term. Sons of God is a status that we borrow from Roman law, and which in that moment, when someone becomes a son of, they are put at the head of the line for the sake of inheritance. It's a status in which a person's former life is wiped out, including any crimes that they have ever committed. They're giving then a new identity as the son of a new legal status. And oftentimes within Roman society, one of the things that would happen is that uh, maybe a younger son had risen to a point in his family in which the dad thought he should be the heir of all of his titles and his wealth rather than his oldest son. And so then he would adopt that young child, or he would adopt a nephew, or he would adopt someone, and when he adopted them and gave them that title, son of, they became preeminent and passed up everybody in terms of inheritance. It was a very particular kind of status. And anything that had been held against you previously, any debt or any crimes, would be immediately forgiven you because you had a new identity 
How many of you are glad you have a new identity in Jesus? Amen? Amen. And so all of the things have been wiped out against us. So throughout the scripture, adoption is not just valid. It's not just on equal footing. In fact, actually, it carries an idea of being more important than bloodline. More important than bloodline. So you were not born a son of God, you were adopted, and you ought to be glad about that. And, you know, as a parent who's adopted a child before, can I just tell you, I don't love my bloodline children more or less than my adopted children. Hello? And, and if adoption seems like a lesser status to you, that's your bias, but it's not biblical. Just a footnote. Okay, well, anyhow, that being said... We meet Joseph here in verse 16 with these words, Joseph, the husband of Mary. Uh, you know, um, have you ever been, you know, uh, identified not by what you've done or anything that, that anybody would know about you, but just as the husband of, the parent of, the mother of, the father of? If you have children, you have been identified as, that's the mother of, that is the father of, right? I, it, it's, but likely in terms of even at your spouse's workplace. You're likely known as the spouse of, you know, however that falls together. And so Joseph, uh, in this, you know, gets all the grandeur and glory of being known as the husband of Mary. And yet it's a great title because Mary is awesome. As we saw last week, she's an amazing young woman who makes a decision against uh, all of natural uh, societal pressures and everything else. And she says, uh, let it be done to me as you said. She, she chooses to follow in hot pursuit of God regardless of the consequences, regardless of the difficulty. She puts herself in a very difficult situation simply because she wants to be obedient and do what God is doing. And so she says, yes. So we're told Joseph is the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And then we get right into the text that I read at the beginning, and we read about him in regard, you know, later to getting Jesus out of Bethlehem just before Herod's henchmen descend on their town. We read about their exodus to Egypt and back again, and then the last time we read about him is in his role in correcting Jesus when Jesus goes missing as a young teenager, uh, is found in the temple teaching, and they ask him why did he do this and, and things like that. But otherwise, that's like, that's it. That's everything the Bible says about Joseph. And so it's easy to kind of like kind of forget maybe a little bit about Joseph or to think maybe his role isn't all that important, but it's really significant. There's, it's how that the lineage of Jesus is justified as Messiah, and we recognize there's some things here that are happening uh, in those things, you know, in those little bylines that we are often tempted to ignore. One of the things that I've said over and over again, in fact, if you... Um, this uh, winter in January, we're going to uh, do a class on how to read the Bible for all it's worth. I invite you to, to check that out, to come and join us on Wednesday nights for that. But one of the things that I'm always uh, advocating for in reading your Bible yourself is that our, our tendency is to just like skip things in Scripture and what we call the segues. You know, we read those statements and they're just one sentence long, and we kind of just skip over to get on to the events. And what we miss in that is the things that it's telling us about the heart of God, the nature of God in those moments, that then if you just read the events and you skip the segues, that's how people end up with the idea that God is harsh or impatient in the Old Testament. Because you're leaving out that between this, and a, and th this event and that event, that one little sentence tells you that a hundred years has passed. When was the last time you waited 100 years to deal with a problem or a person, right? I mean, like anybody here, that patient, you've waited a hundred years, you know, anybody? Any, no, because we don't even usually live that long, right? And so uh, the reality is, is that you get the idea that God said it here and then all of a sudden he just whammo, you know, and you think, wow. Man, God is harsh. And then you read the byline, you read that little segue, and you go, oh, wait, 
There was a hundred years? Wow. It's almost as if God is patient, wanting none to perish. It's almost as if God was merciful and kind and, I don't know, just, right? And so, like, it's important that you don't skip those things, uh, even uh, the tendency to start skipping the lineage. Oh, well, you know, it's hard to preach through the lineage. It's true. It's why I didn't read it this morning. Uh, But the reality is, is that whenever you're sitting there reading and you're tracking through all of that, you're learning about the faithfulness of God throughout the weight in the witness of Scripture. Well, so here we go. We, we don't know uh, uh, a whole lot about Joseph, but what we do know is that not only is he the uh, uh, husband of Mary, but he is a just man. God... In the same way that God chose Mary because she was willing to do whatever was right and true regardless of the circumstances that would put her in, so also God has chosen Joseph, both by lineage and partnership with Mary, but probably one of the most important things you could read is right there in verse 19. Let me read those words to you again. Joseph being a just man, not just a man, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The Bible, the Word of God, describes Joseph as a just man, as in a person who loves what is just, a seeker of justice, a seeker of righteousness. That's how Joseph is described. And when your life is over, like, can I just say, what more beautiful epitaph could they put on your gravestone than to say, here lies a just man or a just woman? I can't think of a better thing to be said. Now, He was a just man. Now watch what, it, what a just man does. Being a just man, what did he do? He showed her mercy. Let that sink in for a moment, what real justice looks like. When God calls you a just man, not when you call yourself just. Right? What, what is, how, the Bible just describes him as a just man, and then the next sentence says, and then he took her out and made sure she got stoned because that's what she deserves is a dirty harlot. Isn't that the way sometimes you hear it preached? That if you were just, you would crush the unjust or the sinner? The Bible describes him as a just man, and then it says, and because he was just, because he loved justice, because he loved righteousness, he did not seek to put her to shame. Are you just? When you're betrayed, are you just? What does it mean? To be just. Joseph was going to take the hit either way. You see, to divorce her quietly would mean that his reputation was going to be sullied no matter what. He could have dragged her out in public and said, This woman betrayed me. Stoner! And they would have said, Yeah, baby, she is dead. And everybody would have said, well, you know, Joseph is such a morally upright guy. What a good guy he is. Right? So what did they say when Joseph said, no, she's, she's, it's mine. Oh. Oh, you're that kind of guy. 
We all thought you were upstanding. We all thought you were a good guy, Joseph. Now we all know you just can't keep yourself under control. Fine. Now, you know that he did that part because you and I read about him rearing, rearing Jesus and, and being, stay, staying with to the end. But what if he had done what he originally sought to do? What if he had divorced her? What if he hadn't heard from the Spirit of the Lord? What was he going to do as a just person? Protect her from shame. If your idea of justice is to destroy those who hurt you, you have confused justice with revenge. I, I hear that a lot. Especially among Christians, when we get hurt, when people do things that we don't like, calling revenge justice. I've wrestled with that a few times. Even just recently, just been some things that happened, and I, I just thought to my man, I just really want to, and then, you know, this crazy thing happened, I just started praying about it, and then like I said, and I like realized that the greatest offense was just to my pride. How about you? Revenge belongs to God, and those who are actually just know that, and don't feel the need to play God or seek revenge or... So despite the fact that he actually felt betrayed, I mean, he, he's, he's been waiting and he's been building a future for them and, and then now all of a sudden she turns up pregnant and he doesn't, you know, I don't know what was said between them or if anything was said between them, but he finds out the, the situation and he thinks to himself, well, the best thing I can do in this situation is protect her from shame still care about her. The Bible just told you everything you know, need to know about why God chose Joseph to raise his son. Because Jesus came not to crush us, but to rescue us. Came as our Savior. Who do, you, who do you want to trust that child to as he grows up? What kind of man do you want to raise him? You want a Joseph to remind. Because see, Joseph reminds me of Jesus. It's not, that he, it's not just that he got that from his heavenly father. It's that, that Jesus wrote, grew up in an atmosphere with a father like Joseph who taught him that justice didn't mean crushing your enemies And that oftentimes being a person of integrity and justice meant taking the hit for others to live. Isn't that what Jesus did for all of us? He took the hit because we were guilty. And so when you and I look at the witness of the Bible and, and you look at this verse, I, I can't help but think of Micah chapter 6, verse 8, right? One of those Old Testament verses, you know, the Old Testament that's supposedly all about God being harsh and unkind and unmerciful. And, and what does it say in Micah 6, 8? It says, and what does the Lord require of you? Keep the law constantly and don't ever make a mistake. No, 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 that's not. Let me, oh, oh yeah, let's see. Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness? Maybe your translation says love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Old Testament say? What, what, what's required of you? What does it look like to be a saint in the Old Testament? Do what is just. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Those are the virtues that describe a person who's walking with God. Those are the virtues that describe Joseph, right? And so uh, this is when the, the angel of Yahweh, when Gabriel comes to him and he tells him, I know you feel betrayed, but do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And this is why. 
Because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Because she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All great reasons, don't you think? I mean, I'm kind of in favor. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I kind of need all those things. How about you? And then there's something else that kind of happens here in the text that it's just not, you know, obvious. But then the, the angel and Matthew follow this, this little formula for the announcement of the birth. Interestingly enough, it's just like when the Lord told Abraham about Ishmael and when the Lord told him about Isaac. And then we watch, and that same pattern is followed again in the announcement of John the Baptist and finally here again for the announcement of Jesus' birth. So it's, it's, I don't know, just kind of a thought here is that every time Gabriel comes, and he's like telling people of, some, of the significant birth that there's this little formula that occurs over and over again so that you have this continuity between Old Testament and New Testament that it's the same God beginning, from the beginning to the end, uh, the same God that makes the announcement, same angel coming and bringing forth the good news. And each time these births are like these significant turning points in the events that are unfolding in Scripture. And so he starts with this little thing. It's just real simple. Take your wife, and he took his wife, and you shall call him, and he will be called. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Remember what I said about segues? Those things that we tend to ignore all the time? That's where oftentimes the, some of the meatiest things actually are, and those little segue things that we just brush right over on our way to the big event and miss how significant those events are and how they tie together because we skip the segue. So here, by doing that, He's making a point that not only that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, but then he goes right for Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the part of why it matters that's obvious is just simply that that's how you and I know that Jesus is the Messiah, right? We, we, we go back here to Isaiah and we pull it through and we can see that, and this testimony that runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation uh, is uniform and it fits together nicely and it's constantly telling the same story from the beginning all the way to the end. And so that you and I see those events unfolding and we look at how God has done all these things, preloading it on the front end all the way up to Jesus' birth, uh, you know, over 80 percent of all the scriptures about the Messiah already having been fulfilled, almost 90 percent of those scriptures. And so then you and I have confidence that, that last little 10 percent or so is going to happen in the coming ages because the majority of it's already been fulfilled. And we just go, well, God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. What is the likelihood that he's going to finish the job? So it's important for that reason. That's the obvious but on the other hand, let, let's not forget that when it's first spoken to Joseph, who's the primary audience? Think for just a moment. When it is first spoken, not when it's first recorded, when it was first spoken to Joseph, who's there? I, I, okay, Captain Obvious here, Joseph, right? <laughs> That's it. It's not like there's like, like a crowd of people like listening in on his dream, right? I mean, he's, he's in a dream, and it's just the angel of the Lord and Joseph. Who's the message for? Oh, okay, good, all right. We're all paying attention. Good, good, good. I promise you that Joseph wasn't concerned about what you thought. Right? What's Joseph concerned with? Doing the right thing. That's it. That's what it means 
to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, that we want God's will done in the earth, in our lives, in us. That's why we pray the, the prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Your, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. I love your will. That's what makes it heavenly, is that his will is done perfectly all the time. And so here it is, Joseph is hearing from the Lord and he is he's getting this download and it's following the formula of the Old Testament just as he would have been taught about all those promises growing up in Hebrew school as a child. He would have known about the passages from, from Isaiah and the declaration of Messiah coming in to deliver them and it would have all fit together and deeply resounding within the heart of Joseph is the, the angel spoke to him was this, that he knew it was God. And so Joseph, who's do, looking to do the right thing, hears from the angel of the Lord, and he knows enough Midrash from tradition and scripture, and he knows enough about Isaiah 7 that he says, ah, the just decision in this case is to stand with Mary and take the hit. So he stays with her, and, and then his other decision was, and that he didn't touch her while she was carrying Jesus. He so believed that what she was doing was holy, that he would not dare infringe upon all of that. Instead, he cared for her protected her. When the child was born, he not only cared for him there in Bethlehem, but when the threat came after them, he picked up everything and he made his way to Egypt. When after uh, they had been in Egypt long enough that they could make their way back on the way, he, as they journeyed, they adjusted their course all along the way. And all that time, Joseph was not only loving and caring for Mary, but he was loving and caring for his firstborn, Jesus, whom he adopted at his own, whom he provided for, who he taught his basic life skills to, whom he loved and protected with his very own life. And that, that's why God could trust Joseph. Not just to care for Mary, but to rear the Messiah. What a brilliant epitaph. Of all the things that could be said about you, if there could be one line that would describe your life above all others, if the one thing that was said about you at the end of your days was simply that, Joseph was a just man. How about you? How? How was a just man? Not because he loved revenge, not because he kept the law better than everyone else around him. But because he demonstrated mercy to those who didn't deserve it. Even in one of the greatest moments of betrayal. Are you just? Well, you know, one of the biggest promises of Advent is our adoption as sons of God. Your legal status has been changed through Christ. You've given a new identity and, and includes not only wiping out your past so that it's no longer uh, 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 counted against you, but has been aptly modeled for us in this man of justice and doing the right thing and, and not feeling the need to get even, but left Mary in God's hands. 
And then when the Lord spoke, he went the extra mile and poured out his life for making sure that her life, that throughout her life, that she could fulfill the plans that God has for her. Gentlemen, I can think of no higher calling for any man in this room than that not only that you would love your wife and be a person of justice, but that you would be invested in making sure that the plans for God for her life are able to come to fruition. Amen? And so maybe this Advent season, the lesson for you is, is, is from the life of Joseph, one of justice rather than revenge, one of trusting God and granting mercy to the falling, not needing to soothe your own wounded pride. Maybe, maybe that's the message for you today. Maybe you're here and you're wrestling with justice, frustration, disappointment, betrayal, hurt, and, and you haven't seen God do what you thought God should do in the moment. Maybe you've even been tempted to take the justice into your own hands and the thing I would say to you is that trusting God truly means even in those moments of betrayal, even in those moments when it doesn't add up, even when I don't see the circumstances working in a particular way, but I believe that God is able, I'm not talking about being a doormat, I'm not talking about uh, not ever uh, you know, uh, speaking up in, in situations, I'm simply talking about that when it's in my hands to exact revenge that I would trust the Lord. Maybe that's what you're wrestling with this morning and maybe you need some prayer for. Maybe, maybe in this that you found yourself in a situation of where you've had to, you know, maybe you've questioned in your relationship with God about the love that God has for you. I, I know that oftentimes uh, one of the things that we think about is we're constantly measuring ourselves by other people, uh, questioning uh, our value to God, whether or not that there is uh, the things that we do really matter. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you even felt a, a particular call in ministry and you didn't do that and you've wondered if God is still with you for you. Uh, maybe, maybe you're here and because you because you chose to be a butcher, a candlestick maker, a teacher, a postman, or whatever else, and you've wondered, like, is God really using me in the midst of all those things? And, and can I just tell you that, you know, God didn't trust Joseph to a theologian. I didn't trust Jesus to a theologian. He trusted him to a carpenter where he learned uh, just not only some great life skills but it was there in the house of Joseph, not in the house of the priests of Levi, not in the house of the rabbinical leaders and teachers, but it was there in the house of Joseph that he learned what justice really looks like. That's where he learned about mercy and what it really looks like. It's where he learned to uh, do not only an honest day's work, but to love the people and to care of the people that he's with. And so I would say to you, if you're wondering whether or not that your life counts for the kingdom because you're not a pastor or because you're not a missionary, can I just speak to that for just a moment and urge you that God has put you in the place where you are at right now to use you for the sake of the kingdom. And the, it's not that whether or not you go to Bible college, it's not whether or not you become a, a pastor or something like that. It's do you say yes to God? And will you say yes to him in the most difficult of circumstances and trying, even in the midst of your betrayal, even in the midst of things that you don't understand? Will you just simply say, God, here's what I know. I trust you. I believe you. And so here's my life. Do with it whatever you will. I'm just a nickel in God's pocket to be spent as he so pleases. Maybe that's what Advent is about for you this year is coming to a place where you would surrender and just simply say, God, spend me. Spend me for the sake of the kingdom. Take my reputation, my skills, everything. Spend me as you will.
Maybe. Maybe it's to be reminded that God loves justice and mercy equally. And that they, in fact, are two sides of the same coin. Maybe, maybe right now it's to, in a situation, in a relationship, to not see them in competition with one another, but to see them as the same thing. Maybe right now God is calling you in a very difficult situation to choose mercy that would not be of your own doing. Maybe in that moment you, you have every reason to want someone to be punished. But you know deep in your heart today that God has said that justice in that situation looks like mercy and letting go of your own pride. Maybe today it's recognizing that it's not for the reward, but because we do the right thing simply because it's the right thing, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the personal cost. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Let's stand together. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have struggled with doing the right thing, especially when it looks like Nobody cares. Ever been there? I bet you have. I bet you've been in the moment where doing the right thing doesn't seem to have made any difference whatsoever, but it cost you. Cost you personally. Maybe cost you financially. Maybe cost you relationally. Maybe, maybe it cost you a job. Maybe it cost you whatever else. And the thought in that moment was, Gosh, they didn't even appreciate it. Why does it matter? What good did it do? And if that's you today, if you are stuck in a place right now where you feel like you did the right thing and it got tossed aside and that it didn't matter, I want to tell you that I believe wholeheartedly from the witness of Scripture and by the Spirit of the Lord this morning, I would say to you, it does matter that you did the right thing. It matters in the scope of eternity. It matters because all of heaven cheers you in this moment and celebrates you that you did the right thing, not because it was convenient, not because it was cheap, not because there was a, a everlasting results in the life of another person, but because in the kingdom of heaven, because in the witness of all the angels of the entire cosmos, the world knows you chose what was right, not because it was convenient, but because you love God. There is a, a witness, spiritual warfare is happening in the cosmos, and you've done battle for the sake of the kingdom today when you chose to surrender your right, chose to surrender your, your claim to, uh, to get even because you decided to do the right thing. If there's any message about the life of Joseph that I'd want you to take home today, any message from the life of Mary that I'd want you to take home from last week, is that the thing that stands out about them, the reason God was able to use them for such a significant moment in history, the pivotal point, the exclamation point on all of world history was this. They said yes, regardless of the cost. And I believe God will use you right where you're at in whatever job, whatever situation, whatever setting, whether you're from Bethlehem or from Brooksville, whether you're a carpenter, mechanic, dentist, or lawyer, 
God would use you right where you are if you will just say yes. Ask the prayer team to go ahead and come on up, and as they're coming, let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. And Lord, uh, we find ourselves as a people constantly at the crossroads of having to make decisions. And oftentimes, oftentimes we say aloud, I don't know what to do. Oftentimes we have found ourselves in that moment where we're longing for, waiting for someone to give us a specific word, a verse or something, and when the truth is that the weight of Scripture is spoken again and again, do the right thing. Do the thing that brings honor and glory to God. Do the thing that the Holy Spirit and the Scripture have testified to me about. And so, Lord, I, I pray today, just Holy Spirit of God, would you move among us and rest on every heart that needs to hear what real justice is about. Rest on every heart that needs to hear about mercy. Rest on every heart that's not sure that, what, that doing the right thing was worth it. And I pray that you administer those hearts and souls right now. Just come, Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. So if that's you this morning, let me invite you to come get some prayer. You might have some other things that you need to get prayer about. Maybe it has nothing to do with the message this morning. That's fine. You can come up for anything you need prayer for. It could be prayer for physical healing. could be prayer over financial things. could be prayer about family coming for Christmas. I don't know. My family comes to visit too. I understand. So. so whatever you need prayer for this morning, let me invite you to come get some prayer. Maybe turn to the person next to you and say, would you pray with me? It's okay. You don't have to come to the front to get prayer. You could pray with the person next to you. It's allowed. And, uh, but let me encourage you to do yourself the favor and take care of business before you walk out that door and you get distracted with everything else and forget what the Lord's saying to you in this moment. So take care of business now. God bless you. Have a great week. I hope to see you next Sunday. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others? by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.